Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome back to Data Science at Home and Beyond. I'm Francesco, your host for the next 30 minutes. Feel free to join us on our Discord channel where you can get in touch with me and the amazing community of scientists and practitioners. You will find links you need on the official website, datascienceathome.com. Today, as always, we are going to have a lot of fun with the topics you love the most. So put yourself at ease, grab your cup of coffee or tea, and expose your brain to the topic of the day. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. Today we speak about vector databases because this is a new trend and uh, it would be nice to clarify what that technology is about, why so much hype about it, is there a need for new products, and of course what are vectors and vectors databases uh, to start with. So it's very true that when there is a new technology or when there is a new trend in technology, uh, you know, this usually drives different needs from the ones we had before the technology actually uh, exploded. And which technology I'm talking about? Of course, ChatGPT and Generative AI. So Generative AI, very broadly speaking, is in fact uh, creating new needs when it comes to uh, data storage as well as uh, uh, data search um, as well as uh, many other computations that you uh, that we were used to do on data uh, especially with data analytics uh, um, uh, back in the days which is now probably 10-15 years ago um, and the concept of the vector, in fact, is kind of uh, much more prominent than it was uh, a few years ago, if not months, uh, even though, of course, vectors and, uh, as I'll explain in a minute, vector databases have always existed uh, since more than 20 years. <laughs> We've always known about vectors. The thing is that now we know uh, that we need them more. Um, and due to the and this is due to the fact that the models, the machine learning models or the AI models that we are dealing with, are very vector hungry <laughs> in the sense that they need to represent data as vectors. And why is that? Is because the data that these systems or these models usually manipulate um, is very is very unstructured data uh, and also very diverse data. It can be text, it can be images, it can be videos, it can be audio, uh, and anything in between, in fact. So vector databases, as I said, they've always existed uh, and the concept of the vector, uh, in fact, has always existed to the point that companies like Netflix have always used uh, the concept of vectors for their business. And, you know, remember the, these recommendation systems that we were speaking about probably a couple of years ago, even on this show. Um, these are systems that essentially represent information in the form of vector. Um, for example, the vector of for example, a movie represented as a vector, and I'm speaking about Netflix here, or any other product, if you think of a, um, you know, um, 
a book, for example, or any other product that you might be selling, clothes, shoes, whatever, uh, that you might be selling to users, well, uh, representing a user or the user profile um, as a vector and representing also the movie or the product as a vector in a particular way uh, would give us the chance to, let's say, exploring the set of users or that community that might be liking that particular set of products. And so there is this vector matching or uh, it's called in the jargon vector similarity uh, that essentially is the uh, core function that is executed on, on these vector representations. Um, and that's exactly what companies like Netflix or Amazon um, have been doing for, for so many years uh, in order to recommend uh, particular products to particular people. Uh, there is also um, image search, uh, and this is something that we have seen a number of times, probably on Google Images. Um, you can search images by tags, and that's kind of the most naive and the most, um, let's say, simple way to um, uh, tag images with a, a word, a label that represents more or less what we will find in that image, and then searching uh, in an image database via tags. You know, that's what we remember from the 90s, probably, uh, the tagging systems. And um, that was pretty much replaced by semantic search um, because you can represent an image as a, a, a vector, a multidimensional vector, and uh, find all the images or all the vectors that are similar to that particular vector that you have in the query. And that's how you can find, for example, images of cats, kind of my favorite animals, uh, by typing cat or by typing kitten or by typing not dogs, uh, but you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> by querying with uh, a value that is not exactly what is represented via a, a tag, you can still search stuff that is semantically equivalent or similar. And speaking about semantics, we have seen this uh, very recently with uh, ChatGPT and all large language models when it comes to text. Uh, even there, even more so in those uh, uh, situations, we need vectors and we need to, rep to represent, for example, paragraphs, sentences or entire books uh, as vectors in order to search for similar um, uh, paragraphs, similar sentences or similar books. Uh, by looking at what? By looking at their vector representation. And why vector is because, well, you know, computers have this bad habit of being uh, okay -ish with, uh, with numbers and uh, a number is the only way to represent anything with a computer, with an algorithm. So the vector is, in fact, the most natural way to represent pretty much anything uh, to a, a, a computer, so to a, a CPU or a GPU or whatever you have in front of you. So when you are computing stuff, you better represent these things or the things of your world, uh, the things that you see or you feel or you speak with, etc., as vectors. So I'm going to give a very simple example, even though this has been done already several years ago, even on this show, um, when we spoke about word to vec And um, I actually don't recall the number of that episode, but... Um, at some point, I remember that we spoke about that. Um, 
that was essentially a way to represent a sentence as a bunch of numbers, essentially a vector. And uh, remember the first time when uh, chatbots came out and you know they were the new revolution, the new thing uh, that everybody was dealing with? Well, that's pretty much when vector databases and vector representations kind of came out, um, even though, again, we have always known about uh, vectors and vector databases in the past. But that's when they came out in the sense that ha, huh, they were needed more than the last decade or, or, or something like that. So the word to vec algorithm, essentially, what it does uh, is something simple. It converts a word into a vector. And so to do that, um, you know, imagine you have a sentence like uh, my cat is gray, which is true, by the way. Now, imagine we have this sentence and what we want to do is representing this sentence as a vector. So what word to vec would do um, is essentially analyzing each word in the context of the other words. Um, in this case, my, the word my, the word cat, the word is, and the word gray, um, and analyze these things, you know, in a context. Uh, so probably if you, you know, if you give it a sentence like that, it's not going to be helpful. But when you see this sentence in a, um, you know, immersed in uh, a paragraph and the paragraph in uh, a page and a page in a book and a book in a database of books and the entire knowledge of the internet like the wikipedia or the reddit uh, uh, website and and all the other uh, data sources that you might find uh, publicly available i don't know for how long but you get my point uh, well when you put that phrase that sentence into a context and when you see that sentence uh, repeatedly in different contexts or in similar contexts, what the algorithm will learn is essentially a way to uh, represent numerically this word uh, within the context of the word itself, right? And so let's assume that, for simplicity of course, that we have an algorithm like word to vec that uh, represents each single word with just, let's say, three dimensions. So it's going to be three floats, okay? Three floating point numbers. And so you would have, you know, you will run the algorithms on a bunch of training data and the algorithm will do the quote-unquote magic. There's no magic, it's just, you know, gradient descent. But uh, what will happen at the end of the training session is that, uh, well, you will represent each word my cat is gray with three numbers each, right? Uh, so that's uh, essentially, uh, you would have, let's say, my cat is gray, it's, it's four words, uh, let's assume we don't clean the sentence because usually these things are cleaned and uh, um, cleaned by stop words are removed and stuff like that. But let, let's keep it simple. So we have four words, three dimensions per word. Well, easy peasy. We're going to have like a matrix four by three that represents my uh, sentence into numerical vectors, right? At that point, what I would do to represent that phrase with just one vector, well, I will do an average of the four vectors, three dimensions each. I would just average them element-wise, and boom, I get a one by three vector, a vector of three elements, of three numbers. And those numbers represent the entire sentence, my cat is gray. Now, if I find another sentence, like my dog is, is, is green, what a dog is that? No, let's make a, my dog is black, okay? So my dog is black in a pool of sentences, 
uh, it's very likely to be considered similar to my cat is gray. And that means that, you know, why? Because gray and, and black are two colors, cat and dog are two animals, uh, my and my are two pronouns and so on. So, you know, there is similarity uh, in the two sentences. And um, this similarity is not only syntactic, uh, but it's also semantic in the sense that I'm describing the color of an animal or of my pet or a pet or a domesticated animal, right? Um, so if I have a third sentence, uh, you know, like my chair is brown, um, I'm still uh, describing something uh, with something that is a color. But if I had to compare the three sentences among each other, I would definitely have an algorithm, you know, if algorithm has been trained correctly, the cat and dog sentences would be closer to each other than the chair. So the chair would be kind of the outlier, you know, like the, wow, the black sheep in the family. <laughs> and then it would be an animal again. No, let's not make that example. But, you know, you know what I mean? The chair is going to be like more different than the dog and the cat, right? So this is how vector representations work. Now, we do this at a massive scale. We do this, for example, using a context of 100,000 words. Uh, we train over uh, terabyte and terabyte or petabyte of data, and we represent each single phrase, well, sentence or paragraph or word, not just with three uh, dimensions, but probably 300 dimensions or more. And here you see where we are going. You know, we are definitely increasing the size of the problem uh, by increasing the number of dimensions among which all these uh, sentences can fluctuate. And uh, you can start generalizing things very, very quickly because you can have exactly the same 300 dimension representation, not just for sentences or text or entire books, but also for images or video streams or video or media or audio, anything can be in fact converted and represented as a 300 dimensional vector. And this means that you can do something that is extremely powerful. You can run similarity search or you can assess the similarity between two vectors that can be very different. It can be, you can be comparing, for example, an image to a pool of videos um, or a video to a pool of text and books. And so in case you had an application as there are, in which you say, I give you the movie or I show you the movie, you vectorize it, and then you start describing it with words. Well, that's exactly what happens behind the curtains. It's like there is a vector representation of all the actors involved in this computation. And what I do is essentially searching things. And of course, I will be a nice and, and, and reactive algorithm if I can do that search as fast as possible. And that's where vector databases kick in, because this is now essentially the core part of this episode. After all this preamble, uh, we have uh, finally, we are discussing about vector databases. So a vector database is um, a database that has some additional feature, let's say, in addition to the ones that uh, usual databases have, which is storing data and indexing data and representing data as tables. Uh, now, usually a vector database that is, has been designed to be 
just a vector database usually does know what a table is. Uh, they will probably have some kind of internal representation of tables, but that's not where they excel. Uh, they excel at representing stuff and storing stuff as vectors. Um, now, if you have billions of vectors, there is a big problem there that when you are searching, well, if you don't design your searching algorithm accordingly, uh, that search or any search in a billion uh, available records or vectors is going to take a while. And so that's why there are two essential techniques that all vector databases use at least the good ones use or should use in order to uh, efficiently conduct similarity searches. And they use a lot grouping and inverted indexing, right? So inverted indexing, essentially indexing and grouping are essentially ways to represent parts of the vectors and group them together when they, let's say, belong to the same, well, they, well, when they have exactly, not exactly the same characteristics, but they have similar characteristics. And um, of course, there is also another important feature of vector databases, which is vector quantization. And again, we have seen this in the past, it applies also to neural networks is when you want to represent high dimensional vectors to lower dimensional spaces because that would help you for example saving a lot of memory or reducing the memory footprint or simply um, run searches faster and also run similarity um, similarity functions or functions that calculate similarity much much faster when you are dealing for example with 10 back uh, 10 dimensions rather than 10,000 dimensions, of course, I'm exaggerating here, but you get my point. So all the rest um, is essentially done, you know, with uh, similarity calculation, clustering analysis, vector addition, uh, vector uh, multiplication or dot products. These are all things, these are all operations that come from, let's say, linear algebra and kind of off-the-shelf machine learning. Like if you if I speak about the clustering algorithm today, nobody's going to be impressed as they were 10 years ago. So, you know, all these states is just the way we represent um, a media, a, a, a record, a piece of data. Uh, we represent it as a vector. That's the only change. Right. Which is not really a change because, in fact, we've always had these things around us and we just didn't care. Now, the thing is that what I'm noticing is that um, there is some, some sort of explosion out there, like, oh my God, we, we, we need vector databases and we need to create new databases. And boom, the vector, the, the database industry finally unlocked <laughs> and finally woke up because there was a, this, you know, this last 20 years effectively have been quite silent, except for a few um, cases in which there were new databases coming out. But other than that, you know, the Oracle and the PostgreSQL of the world have always been there and probably will stay for a, a long time. But there was no big revolution in the in the database uh, space or research or field of research. And um, and that's because databases, te database technology is uh, quite mature and um, it hasn't really needed, you know, the world of computer science or IT in general, has never needed anything, let's say, different than what uh, off-the-shelf databases could offer. Uh, but all of a sudden, in the last year or a bit less, uh, there is this boom, there is this, there is this explosion of uh, 
needs in terms of oh we need vector databases now and uh, we need to build companies that build um, uh, vector databases and i found this quite you know tricky to to digest because um, i think that actually i'm quite sure that there are uh, instead of uh, that instead of you know throwing yourself into another company or another database or you know even if you're building one starting from scratch you know you're entering a space that is in my opinion very mature um and changing the rules of the game in such a space would be extremely difficult in my opinion so probably what we should do is looking around us and see what is already offered by the big names there can they be adopted uh, can be can they be adapted to uh, let's say add this you know, additional functionality which is the concept of vector and uh, i was looking around and uh, i actually found some uh, that can serve the case very very well um, now of course you might think of you know the usual Redis elastic search where you can essentially put whatever you want uh, in terms of data data type uh, but you can also think of Postgres and I'm a big fan of Postgres because first of all it's open source second it's extremely robust and mature and third it supports vector search <laughs> among other things so usually I have this kind of non-written rule in my that I learned uh, sometimes even the hard way which is when you are in doubt which database to use for your use case look at postgres uh, many times i would say 80 90 percent of the time that's the best you can get and uh, unless you have very exotic requirements uh, postgresql is usually the database you should start with and then you know if along the way there are different needs or you really need something different uh, in terms of uh, data storage uh, well then you might think of a migration or even a change of technology completely but start starting from postgresql usually saves you a lot of time um, in addition to this what i'm saying to what i'm saying there is the fact that uh, PostgreSQL supports among many things and of course I'm not um, expanding on it because it's uh, I would go I would run out of topic <laughs> as uh, I usually do in my real life <laughs> uh, running uh, Postgres uh, PostgreSQL supports uh, vector databases in the sense that they support vector search um, they also support for example JSON to a certain extent but supporting uh, vector search means that they have an efficient way to represent a vector uh, in the memory layout of your computer or the server who's hosting that is hosting uh, your instance of Postgres and also there is a way to uh, perform this search um, and you know this is kind of a mix of uh, columnar uh, databases and uh, customization with respect to the uh, to the data type which in this case is a vector of course there are other names out there uh, that we knew from you know long time uh, cassandra when you want to go distributed click house um, and of course uh, when we want to be more specific or specialized uh, with respect to the vector databases uh, we definitely have uh, pinecone which is a commercial i think um, it has a commercial license and one that i explored uh, a while ago uh, when they were very mature, but now they, they became really robust and solid, which is Quadrant, 
qdrunt. Um, I will report some of these links in the show notes of this episode on datasansatome.com. Uh, and that's kind of my favorite because it's uh, uh, implemented in Rust and it very well support many other clients and written in different languages. It's a really strong product in my opinion. They recently got uh, some good funding. So I really support them uh, <laughs> because I'm a fan of Rust and I think that uh, that's these are the types of applications where probably Rust can excel. But let not me go off topic on Rust. I mean, I always get excited about this language. Let's go back to vector databases. And in fact, not exactly to uh, vector databases, but to Postgres. We were speaking about Postgres. So as I said, this is the way to go. This is the one database you would like to look at when you have a new application or when you're designing one. Um, because uh, it excels in uh, many aspects of data storage and uh, uh, database technology. Uh, for example, and, and it can pretty much replace many of the uh, of these products that have been specifically designed for that particular use case and i'm speaking about for example uh, stream processing right or time series analysis time series analysis you know you have time scale db which is clearly designed to you know optimize the concept or the representation of time series but that's based on postgres uh, in fact it's a postgres modified to support the concept of time series um, all the rest is simple Postgres. So, you know, um, online analytics, uh, DuckDB. So DuckDB is designed specifically for online analytics. Uh, Postgres can do that. Um, you say transaction processing, CockroachDB, specifically designed for that. Postgres can do that. Spatial analysis, PostGIS or GIS, whatever you want to call. Um, that's specific Postgres can save you also there. So, you know, um, of course, if you have extremely um, exotic needs or extremely specific needs for your application, I would say do your research and uh, pick the database technology that really, you know, makes it for your particular case and you can sleep well at night. But if you are in the jungle and uh, you say, I need a database right now, otherwise I'm stuck. And I need a database right now and I have no time to do my research and understand which database I actually need according, you know, for my use case. Well, Postgres is probably will save your life for 90 plus percent of the time. It would be nice to discuss with you what you think about this and uh, how you think technology is uh, uh, impacting some of the decisions that we make on a daily basis. We have a, a Discord server for that. Um, you will find the link in the uh, on the official website datascienceathome.com. We are all waiting for you there. I'll speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.